Well, good morning, Disciples Church. What a blessing it was to listen to you with your corporate voices singing the song that we're about to hear preached. My name is Sam Jones. I am a member of this local church, and I serve in multiple roles here at the church, including as a member of the teaching team. For anyone visiting the church today, welcome. We're excited you are here. I look forward to getting to know you. As Pastor Joshua likes to say, we pray that you would become family sooner than later and be blessed by the provision of this local church. This summer, we are once again going through the Psalms of Summer. This is because every five years, our preaching pastor, Joshua, is given a sabbatical. This is during the summer months, and it's meant to let him rest and study to prepare for the next five years of ministry. This is an important time for the ongoing life of his individual ministry and the ongoing life of this church. I was honored and thankful to be asked to prepare this sermon for this church today and I'm excited to share it with you. I'm also thankful to be part of a church that is committed to careful exegesis of Scripture. We preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. The text determines the content and the pace of preaching as we mine out the meaning of each word and phrase. This allows the body to be fed biblical truths each week. This renews and strengthens our faith. It is through this careful teaching that I was brought to faith in this church six and a half years ago. I then entered discipleship, and I have grown in my faith, my knowledge, and my desire to serve the Lord. Each week, I look forward to coming to this building and sitting in these seats to be surrounded by my blood-bought family and to sit under pastors, pastors that exposit scripture faithfully. It is my humble pleasure to be standing here today before you to do the same for you. All right, today we'll be studying Psalm 46. You may have figured that out when we sang the Shane and Shane song, Lord of Hosts. The song just before that, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, was originally written by the man that is known as the father of the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther. And it was also based on Psalm 46. I chose to preach through this psalm because the psalm itself and the songs that have been written from the psalm have been a great blessing to me in my faith walk. This is a psalm that all Christians can find comfort in. And more than comfort, we can find confidence. Not the confidence we find in temporary things, like good health or a large bank account balance. This is confidence 
we find in the creator of everything, the Lord of hosts. This is holy confidence. And so the name of the message today is a song of holy confidence. Let's pray and then we'll dig in. Heavenly Father, we praise you for your worthiness. You are the Lord of hosts. You are the great I am. The only one we can take confidence in. Thank you for this place you have provided for us to gather and hear your word preached. Lord, I pray for all the people gathered here today, whether they are members of your church or those you have ordained to be with us today to hear your truths preached. I pray that we will slow down and turn off the noise of the world for the next hour, to draw near to you, to be edified and renewed. For those that do not know you, great God, if it is your will, open eyes and ears to see and hear your truths. Gather to yourself those you, choose, you chose before time began to be your people, your church, for your namesake. In your son's precious name, amen. All right, church, please open your Bibles to Psalm 46. If you need to borrow a Bible, we have some in the back of the room in front of the sound booth. All right, Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. So before we dive into verse one, I want to pose a few questions for your consideration as we work through Psalm 46 today. One, when you are in times of trouble or distress, where do you seek refuge? Two, when you are under attack, who do you rely on to defend you? Three, who or what do you find confidence in for your safety? Look through the lens of these three questions as we learn the truths 
that God has laid down for us in Psalm 46. My prayer is that you will be restored with holy confidence in our great God. Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The psalmist opens this song with a declaration of where our confidence as Christians should be. He tells us that our refuge and strength is God. The word our here is a personal possessive word. The psalmist is saying that God is the nation of Israel's refuge and strength. God, not a fortress made of stone, not a large military, not a big bank account or a healthy body. No, our refuge is the God of Abraham, of Isaac and Jacob, Yahweh, the great I am. But who is this great I am? To answer that, we go back to the book of Exodus and look at the dialogue between God and Moses. We're going to enter the narrative after God called Moses to go to the enslaved Israelites in Egypt and bring them out of their subjugation. In this, God is honoring his covenant with the line of Abraham, and despite the waywardness of the Israelites, God heard their cries for mercy. Moses is uncertain what to say to the Israelites to prove that God is sending him. So let's look at the text. Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Then God said to, or then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel I am has sent me to you. This is where we get the true name of God, which is translated Yahweh. This name speaks to who God is. When God says, I am, he is telling us of his eternal existence, his self-existence. God relies on no one and nothing outside of himself for his existence because his very being, his existence is innate. The theological term for this is aseity. In the Word of Truth Catechism Glossary, we find the definition of aseity. Aseity as God's attribute. God does not owe his existence to anything or anyone outside himself, nor does he need anything beyond himself to maintain his existence. He is self-contained, self-existent, self-sufficient, and independent. So to bring this back to Psalm 46, in verse 1 where the psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, he is saying the self-existent creator of the universe and everything in it is our refuge and strength. Or simply put, Yahweh is our refuge and strength. 
Then he continues, a very present help in trouble. So this begs the question, how present is God? Listen to how the great theologian and pastor Charles Spurgeon described this. He, meaning God, never withdraws himself from his afflicted. He is their help, truly, effectually, constantly. He is present or near them, close at their side and ready for their help. And this is emphasized by the word very in our version. He is more present than friend or relative can be. Yea, more nearly present than even the trouble itself. To all this comfortable truth is added the consideration that his assistance comes at the needed time. He is not as the swallows that leave us in winter. He is a friend in need and a friend indeed. When it is very dark with us, let brave spirits say, Come, let us sing the 46th Psalm. A fortress firm, a steadfast rock, is God in time of danger. A shield and sword in every shock from foe, well-known or stranger. If you look in your Bibles, you'll see a footnote that tells us very present could also be translated well-proved. So the verse would read, God is my refuge and strength, a well-proved help in trouble. Psalm 139, verses 7 and 8. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Church, there is no place and no circumstance, good or evil, where God is not present and reigning and ruling over it. God is faithful to do what he says he will do. He tells us that he will provide all that we need, and so he does. We cannot make the mistake of thinking or expecting that God will provide the things we think we need. That would be putting ourselves in the place of God. Pastor Steve Schwartz was here two weeks ago and made a similar point. In doing so, he put it very simply. He said, if you don't have it, you don't need it. God will provide the exact help we need in times of trouble, and he will, ex- he will, and the exact help we need is determined by God, not us. So let's move to verses two and three. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. Verse 2 starts with therefore. This is telling us to look back at what was just said and use that as a lens to look at what is being said next. So, since God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble, that is the reason we will not fear. Even if the world is in total destructive chaos, We are not to fear because we trust in God as our refuge and our strength. 
Now let's slow down and look at what's really being described here. The earth giving way. The mountains being moved into the heart of the sea. The waters roaring in such violent fashion that the mountains are made to tremble. This is describing major catastrophes. Earthquakes, tidal waves, mountains crumbling into the sea. Basically, the natural environment that you are surrounded with being in total upheaval. And likely a death sentence if you're anywhere nearby. The psalmist is singing that even though the world is falling apart, our refuge and strength is the great I am. Now let's make this practical. Remember the questions that I asked you to think about? Where do you take refuge? Where do you or who do you rely on for your defense? Where do you find confidence that you will be safe? The, the psalmist is describing cataclysmic events, and despite these things, trusting God for their refuge and strength. I don't know if any of you have lived through a mountain crumbling into the sea. If you have, I would love to hear the story. No? Okay. I would be willing to bet that most of us will never experience anything remotely like the psalmist describes. So what's the application? Church, no matter what you are going through, if you belong to Christ, then God is your strength and refuge. Therefore, you will not fear. Meaning, you will not be dismayed. You will not be undone by your circumstances. You have the almighty God on your side and nothing and no one can change that. So, is this how you approach your troubles? If you lose your job unexpectedly, is God your refuge and strength? If you are diagnosed with a terrible illness, is God your refuge and strength? If you find yourself battling depression or anxiety, is God your refuge and strength? Selah. This word means rest. The psalm has just concluded a magnificent opening, and now it's time to rest. I was blessed to read Charles Spurgeon's comments on this single word, Selah, in the context of this passage. Listen closely. In the midst of such a hurly-burly, the music may well come to a pause, both to give the singers breath and ourselves times for meditation. We are in no hurry but can set us down and wait while earth dissolves and mountains rock and the oceans roar. Ours is not the headlong rashness which passes for courage. We can calmly confront the danger and meditate upon terror, dwelling on its separate items and unified forces. 
The pause is not an exclamation of dismay, but merely a rest in music. We do not suspend our song in alarm, but we retune our harps with deliberation amidst the tumult of the storm. It would be well if all of us could say, Selah, under tempestuous trials. But alas, too often we speak in our haste, lay our trembling hands bewildered amongst the strings, and strike the lyre with a rude crash and mar the melody of our life song. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. During the time of the psalmist, the city of God was Jerusalem, and the river that supplies it would have been either the river Kidron or the waters of the Shiloah that branched out through the city. Jerusalem was the location of the tabernacle of God. The temple was built here, and this is where God would manifest to his people. Justin did a great job last week preaching through Psalm 84. He told us this was a pilgrimage psalm, describing the excitement that a pilgrim on their way to the temple would have to be in the presence of God. This is the same location that the psalmist is describing. Here in verse 4, the holy habitation of the Most High was the temple in Jerusalem. However, Figuratively, we understand that the rivers whose streams make glad the city of God refers to the gospel. The eternal plan of the triune God to provide a way for the elect to be restored into a relationship with God. Listen to what John Gill says about this river and the doctrines that make it up. The streams of this river are eternal election, the covenant of grace, its blessings and promises, the provision and mission of Christ as Savior and redemption by him, justification, pardon, adoption, regeneration, perseverance in grace, and eternal life called streams because they flow from the fountain of divine love and because of the rapidity, force, and power of the grace of God in the application of them in conversion, which carries all before it, and because of the abundance, continuance, and freeness of them, and the gratefulness and acceptableness of them to those who see the worth of them and their interest in them. And these, when made known and applied, make glad the hearts of God's people under a sense of sin and guilt. Under divine desertions, the temptations of Satan, and the various afflictions they meet with, for they are intended by the city of God. As the church is often called because of his building and where he dwells and where the saints are fellow citizens. And so, church, the river that feeds the church and makes it glad is the gospel. But what is the gospel? To answer that, I once again turn to the Word of Truth Catechism, question 68. What is the gospel? 
The gospel is the good news of the grace and power of God to redeem undeserving sinners to eternal life through Jesus's perfect sinless life, substitutional sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection from the grave. These sinners are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone from the eternal wrath they deserved. And they are reconciled into an eternally secure relationship with God. Amen? Church, outside of Christ, there is no way to have a reconciled relationship with God. Outside of Christ, every person is an enemy of God and do his righteous wrath. This is not unfair. This is not unloving. And when viewed correctly, it is understood that it could be no other way. God made a way for men to be reconciled to himself through the work of God the Son, Jesus Christ. No other man could do this work. It took God the Son to take on flesh and satisfy the whole law to make a way for the elect to be welcomed home. If you are here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as he truly is, as God the Son, who paid the debt you couldn't pay, if you are still Lord of your own life, then you are called to repent and believe. And if this is happening, don't keep it to yourself. Talk to someone and share what is happening so that we can celebrate with you and begin to walk out your new faith with you. Church, this was me six and a half years ago. Psalm 45, 5. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. We are again reminded of the presence of God in the church. God is in the midst of her is telling us that God is in the midst of the church and the church shall not be moved as a result. The church shall not be moved or shaken because God dwells there and is always ready to help. This should be of great comfort and encouragement to all believers. At regeneration, the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. Each member of Christ's church has God dwelling in them, securing their place in the church and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Since God is sovereign and cannot be moved by an external force, there is no way for a believer to be moved from this secure position in Christ. The verse ends by saying, God will help her when the morning dawns. God will always help his church at the appointed time. We may be slow to appreciate God when we arise in the morning with the sluggishness of sleep clouding our minds. But God is ever present, including when the sun renews each and every day. Again, here's Spurgeon on this point. As soon as the first ray of lights proclaims the coming day, at the turning of the mornings, at the turning of the morning, God's right arm shall be outstretched for his people. We are slow to meet him, but he is never tardy in helping us. Impatience complains of divine delays, 
but in every deed, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Man's haste is often folly, but God's apparent delays are ever wise. And when rightly viewed, are not delays at all. The darkest hour of the night is just before the turning of the morning. And then, even then, shall the Lord appear as the great ally of the church. Psalm 46, verses 6 and 7. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. The nations rage against God and his church. It does not take a very hard look at our current cultural tendencies and the news of the day to realize that this verse is very apt for today. This warlike language of the nations raging is not referring to a pitched battle between two armies. Instead, it is referring to the hatred of Christ and the church by the unbelieving nations of the world. Jesus warns of this in the Gospel of John. John 15, verses 18 through 21. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world and the world would if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the world, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know who sent me. Unless a person is a member of God's elect and brought into the family of God through the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit, through the work of Jesus Christ, the gospel and the truths revealed to us in Scripture will not make sense to them. The Apostle Paul makes this clear in his first letter to the church in Corneth. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Church, praise God for his perfect plan of redemption and giving us the Holy Scriptures 
so that we can know and understand it. The verse continues, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. This is a dramatic illustration of the kingdoms of the earth being knocked down by the God, or by the power of God. As he brought the heavens and the earth into existence by speaking, he also can make the very earth melt by the sound of his voice. More practically, we can take the utterance of his voice to mean the commands of the Lord or his will being done on earth. The psalmist is looking to the promises of God to be fulfilled in the downfall of pagan kingdoms. Then a reaffirmation of verse 1 is repeated in verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. There is a twofold message for holy confidence in these words. First, God is the Lord of hosts, meaning all the armies of heaven are under his command. In addition to being the powerful I am, God has at his disposal an army unlike anything we can imagine. Second, the psalmist calls him the God of Jacob, reminding us of the covenant promise. John Calvin had this to say, that our faith may rest truly and firmly in God, we must take into consideration at the same time these two parts of his character, his immeasurable power by which he is able to subdue the whole world under him and his fatherly love, which he has manifested in his word. When these two things are joined together, There is nothing which can hinder our faith from defying all the enemies which may rise up against us. Nor must we doubt that God will help us since he has promised to do it. And as to power, he is sufficiently able also to fulfill his promise, for he is the Lord of hosts. Selah. Again, the musicians are called to rest, and we are called to meditate. On what has been sung. Psalm 46, verses 8 and 9. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. We are now coming to the grand crescendo of this song. The psalmist has established the identity and the power of God through the first seven verses. And now he invites the covenant people to come view the works that God has done on their behalf. The nations he shattered for them in order to bring them into their inheritance. God laid the foes of Israel low. He made the places where their cities once stood to be desolate places. The psalmist is saying that God has proven himself with the works he has done. Assyria, Babylon, Bashan, Canaan were all laid low by the Lord of hosts. But all this talk of war can seem foreign to us, sitting in this air-conditioned building. 
in a city where we live peaceful lives. In a country that has not been invaded by war. So how do we reconcile the reality of the time the psalmist lived in compared to the reality of the time and place we live in? How do we have a wartime mentality when we don't live in a time of war? Well, I would argue that we are at war. Maybe not a war of bullets and bombs, but a spiritual war that is ever ongoing. We are constant, under constant assault from within and without. Our flesh cries for sinful pleasures and the world tells us to indulge it. We have frail bodies that get tired and irritable and minds that lose focus and are distracted easily. So how do we fight back against this onslaught? Well, when I was a soldier in the army, we were taught that once the bullets start flying, you will automatically default back to the level you have been trained to. On the battlefield, there are no movie action heroes that rise to the occasion and save the day. If you are trained well, then you will perform well in combat. If you are trained poorly, then you will likely be killed. So the question we must ask ourselves is, if I am in a spiritual fight on a daily basis, then how am I going to do this training? If it is a matter of training, then how trained am I? What daily training do I make sure I am ready for this battle with? I love the way John Piper talks about having a wartime mentality in order to be ready to battle sin. This is what he said. Since we are fallen now and sinful in our desires, the world that God created around us with all of its cares and pleasures is not only a created good to be subdued and enjoyed, it is a danger to be guarded against. Jesus, in the parable of the soils, tries to explain why so many people don't mature in hearing the word of God. The third example goes like this. And as, and as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. He's not just talking about sinful ones. In Luke 8.14, it says, and their fruit does not mature. In other words, the ordinary riches that John Piper has all around him, the ordinary pleasures of life, are not simply good, they are also mortally dangerous to the soul. The wartime lifestyle puts us on red alert not to be naive that God's good creation is not only good, Because of our sin and because of Satan, anything good can destroy us. A wartime footing is essential lest the enemy of our souls get the upper hand. So I want to take a a moment to speak to the men here today. 
The spiritual war for you and your family's souls is your responsibility to prosecute. You are to be the one that sets the example in the home, at work, and in public. If you do not demonstrate a zeal for God, his holy scripture, and his church, then your family will suffer for it. You must put aside any laziness when it comes to preparing for and waging this battle. You must read, understand, and teach scripture to your wife and children. You must be ready to recognize sin in all of its forms, in yourself, your family, and everyone you interact with. We see the degradation of responsibility in society around us, and it's because fathers aren't acting like fathers. Don't be satisfied with watching from the sidelines. Lean in. Be discipled so that you can then disciple others. Do you understand that this life is a brief moment in eternity? But what we do now for the kingdom has eternal implications. All right, now to verse 9. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. In the day of the psalmist, the wars would have been fought with bow and arrow, with spear and shield. And one of the most powerful and fear-inspiring implements of war was the chariot. For the people of this time, this psalm was written, these weapons would have been very familiar. If written today, it may say, he breaks the assault rifles. He shatters the artillery pieces. He burns the fighter jets with fire. The Lord can make all wars cease. He can destroy all weapons that are used to make war. He can take warlike man and force him to stop making war. And the message of this verse is that God will do all of these things to preserve his chosen people. This doesn't mean that we will not experience trials and battles, but instead that we can have confidence that God oversees the outcome. Psalm 46, verses 10 and 11. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Be still and know that I am God. These eight words are some of the most quoted in Scripture. We see them on coffee mugs and bumper stickers. Bumper stickers are still a thing, right? Okay. But what's the context that gives this command such weight? Why? Why are these words so meaningful? Well, the context of these eight words is the entire psalm leading up to this grand statement. Nine verses in this psalm set up this command to turn off the noise of the world, to be still and peaceful, to ignore the news and the cell phone, to quiet our minds and spirits, 
to be still. So let's be reminded. We were told that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So be still. We were told that we will not fear even when the natural world is falling apart. So be still. We are told that the gospel is the river that makes the church glad. So be still. We are told that the church cannot be moved because God is in the midst of her. So be still. The nations of the earth can rage against God and his church, but the Lord of hosts is with us. So be still. God laid to waste the enemies of Israel and will do the same for the enemies of his chosen people again. So be still. Be still and know that I am is God. His name will be exalted in the nations and all through the earth. Isaiah Isaiah chapter 45, verses 22 through 25. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, Our righteousness and strength to him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against me. And the Lord, all the offspring of Israel, shall be justified and glorified. Church, in the end, every knee will bow to the Lord of hosts. So be still. What does this look like for you? How are you doing with getting quiet time to be still, to pray, to meditate on the truths of God? When you wake in the morning, do you first reach for your Bible or your smartphone? Being still takes more effort than we might think. It takes planning. It takes commitment. It takes discipline. But being still and being reoriented to God is the command in this psalm. And this command, if adhered to, will come with a blessing. How often are you twisted up by the troubles of your day? Irritated with traffic and the kids and work and all these things that just aren't going the way we think they should. Taking a moment to be still and reorient to God is the very medicine that you need in those moments. Be still and remember that God is God. Pastor Steve Schwartz preached through Psalm 23 two weeks ago. And what a blessing it was. He described for us the restful peace 
that we find in the Lord of hosts in the middle of crisis. He described what it is to be still. Here's what he said. God gives this perfect respite, this perfect provision. It doesn't matter what is happening outside this beautiful, this beautiful green valley of peace where the quiet waters are. In this place, it's just you and the shepherd. Just you and the shepherd. There's no one else. This place of restful peace is available anytime. It's available all the time. The doors to this valley are never closed. The grass in this valley is always green. The waters are always quiet. And the shepherd is always there. Right in the middle of your crisis, or whatever is most troubling you, the riches of the quiet comforts of your shepherd are always available. And this is where you have to start. A deep spiritual breath to be reminded that your shepherd will give you a restful peace. Psalm 46, 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. The psalmist closes this song of holy confidence with the reason for our holy confidence. The Lord of hosts is with us, the great I am, the God of Jacob, the God that is true to his covenant people. He is our fortress. Church, those that belong to Jesus Christ are part of this covenant people. All Christians have a fortress in the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you humbly. We thank you for your revealed word to us in Scripture. For the ability to come together and hear your word preached. You are the Lord of hosts, and we know that you are our strength and refuge that even when the nations rage against you and your church, that you are in control. Thank you, Lord, for your gospel, for your perfect plan to send your son to live the life we could not, to pay the debt we could not, to make a way for your elect to be welcomed into your family. Jesus came and fought the battle against sin that no man could fight. He fought and won in our place. Let this be a comfort to all the saints. The battle is already won, and it is all for your glory. Father, I pray for everyone here today that we would take the truth of your gospel into the community around us, that we would be a light to those that are in darkness, that we would lean in and have the conversations that we may have been putting off, that we would be faithful to your command to go forth and make disciples. It is because of Christ that we can pray. Amen.